Our title this morning is Abraham's Bosom and Absent Bodies. There was a young man who took a shortcut through a graveyard, and as he did, he saw a very interesting tombstone. Instead of just birth date and date of expiration, it had something more. Here's what it said. Stop, my friend, as you go by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be, so prepare yourself to follow me. Um, a little bit challenged by it, he decided uh, to write something on the tombstone. And here's what he wrote. To follow you, I'm not content until I know just where you went. <laughs> People want to know, what happens when a person dies? Do you go someplace? If so, where are you going? And we're going to take some time today just looking at the subject of what takes place when a person dies. You know, the idea of death fills the media, our world today. Everyone's talking about it one way or another. And so I thought it'd be good for us to take some time this morning just to peruse what the Bible has to say about it. Um, do you go to the internet to find out what happens when you die? Should you go to the internet to find out what happens when you die? Should you check out a magazine at the grocery store checkout? Uh, maybe a famous Hollywood film? How do you know what takes place when a person dies? Well, you and I need to go in one place specifically, and it's not here. It's here. And that is the Word of God. Uh, the Bible tells us what takes place, and we are going to take some time today as we peruse through it. Um, I would like, if you don't mind, to turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Revelation 1, 18. Just getting situated here. And actually, I have it on the screen. If you're already turning there, I apologize for having you turning before I had it on the screen. Here it is. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 says this. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Who's speaking? Jesus says, if you want to know what takes place when a person dies, wouldn't he be the right person to find out from? Jesus is the one. You know, last week, Theo gave us a great picture of what happens when a person dies and the hope that comes with it. So I told Theo, I'm going to fill in little spots around it, and the two of us are doing a two-part back-to-back. Thank you, sir, for uh, sharing your testimony last week. We're going to look at what Jesus says. You know who you would not go to? The person you should not be getting information from is Satan. You know why? I know it makes sense, but the Bible says he's the father of lies. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and if Satan is the father of lies, then who do you go to to find the truth? Jesus. And we're going to just do that as we go through. Did you know that when Satan came down, the first time that he spoke to humans, he lied? I mean, he couldn't help himself from the very beginning. Satan is a liar. Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, and starting with verse 1. There's a story of Eve being tempted by the serpent, uh, who, by the way, Revelation 12, verse 9, tells us that that serpent was Satan. So Revelation chapter 3, starting with verse 1, says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, 
we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that was in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, God hadn't said don't touch it, but he did say don't eat it. And we could see that earlier in Genesis 2. Don't eat it, you will die. Then notice what the serpent says. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Wait a minute. God says you will surely die. And the serpent says you will not surely die. Help me out. Who told the truth? No, no, really. Who told the truth? God did. And yet so many people still believe the serpent's words. They say, you know, we know you die, but you don't surely die. That means I believe you're dead, but you can't pay me to go through a graveyard in the middle of the night with a full moon. There's no way. Because in our hearts, we're still fearful. We believe that people die, but not surely die. Well, how did God make people? I think that helps when we look at how God made humans, gives us a little bit of a picture of maybe what a body is made of. If you know how you die, sometimes you know how you're created, you get a by idea of how you die. So if you don't mind turning, actually you don't have to. I think I have it on the screen. Let's see. Yes, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a what? A living soul. So uh, God knelt down. He and I don't know if he knelt down. The Bible doesn't say this. I just imagined it, okay? And he took the dust of the ground, and when he formed and shaped Adam, he breathed into him, and that body plus breath became a living soul. Um, pretty easy way to, to um, describe it. I think I have illustration here. If you have dust and you add breath, the breath of God specifically, yes, then you have a living soul. If for some reason you don't have dust or if you don't have breath, then you don't have a living soul. You need both dust and breath together to have a living soul. Now, I have, uh, I have some slides here, but I thought it would be better just to see something, you know, like this. So we have here a light bulb, just to help illustrate this point. Uh, this light bulb right now, is it giving out light? No, it's just a light bulb. Um, but if I take electricity and combine it with the light bulb, and I'm hoping that electricity here is working. Oh, it is. I have a light bulb. So I have light. I had a light bulb before. Now I have light. Electricity plus light bulb equals light. If I remove the light bulb, would there be light? If I unplugged it, would there be light? I need both, right? All right. Do you mind if I just leave it there for a little bit? Um, I actually should be asking you all, do you mind if I leave it there just a little bit? In the middle. That's okay? Okay. Uh, it'll be turned off shortly. I don't mean to cause too much stress for the media team. Okay. When It's the same thing with a body. You need to have both together to have a living soul. If you're missing one or the other, the living soul no longer exists. Now, the Bible has another word for breath that I found very helpful when I'm doing my study. And it's found in 
actually several places, but I'm going to look at one in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 5. And thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. Oftentimes in the Bible, and you're going to see this in many places, breath and spirit are considered similar. They're used. Sometimes you would use spirits and they use breath, but it's talking about the same thing. It's what comes out of you. In fact, it's the same word, especially in Greek. The Greek word would be pneuma. And so you're seeing that, that interchange, uh, interplay between those two. Now, let's just look at this again. Dust plus breath of life equals a living soul. You know what this means about a living soul? A living soul is something that you are not something that you have. A living soul is something that you are, not something that you have. Okay, so let's um, look at this, this idea of souls being a living being or throughout the Bible. Real quick, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 Souls, that's speaking about living human beings. Let's look at this one. Acts chapter 27, verse 37. Paul says, and we were in the ship, 203 score and 16 souls. It's not talking about some disembodied spirits. This is talking about living people. Souls were describing a living person. Um, if that's true then, can a soul die? Can a soul die? I mean, that's a fair question. Some say yes. Some you, you want to see if it were a trick. Well, let's just see what the Bible says, right? Ezekiel chapter 18. Now, let's let the Bible speak for itself. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4 says, The soul that sins, it shall what? It will die. It will cease to exist. Let me put it this way. The soul that sins, this is the soul, it will die. Cease to exist. No longer more. Um, how does the Bible describe this experience? And if you don't mind, I'm using a lot of scripture text on the screen. Feel free to use your Bible. But there's so much information today, I'm just kind of letting it happen that way. You're okay with that? Thank you. So how does the Bible describe this? Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit or breath shall return unto God who gave it. So did God, what did God give when he made Adam? He gave breath. And so when Adam dies, what happens? It goes back. The dust goes to the dust, and the breath or spirit goes back to God. What does the Bible call that separation when the dust and breath or dust and spirit are separated? What does the Bible call that? Death, that's right. And you can see that in James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So um, very helpful. Just a little bit of uh, walk through here. If, if I could put it this way, dust minus spirit equals a dead body. And even more simply, death is creation in reverse. Yes? In creation, we put the two together. In death, the two are separated. Uh, it's, it's a reverse operation. All right. Um, I know last week, Theo, you really nailed this. Shared it for us. Helped us understand the hope that comes from this concept. But I just want to just emphasize that Psalm 13, verse 3. 
Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Here's why. Because in the Bible, it describes death as a sleep. And it's going to make sense as we tie everything else together. Um, I was working, uh, I was a senior in, in college, and I was interning at an elementary school in Shenandoah Valley uh, in Virginia. Thursday night, I left my internship and drove all night from Virginia to Arkansas to go to a graduation service. Got in around noon on Friday, enjoyed Friday evening, enjoyed Sabbath, and then Sunday right after the ceremony and lunch, I jumped in the car and I drove back all night. I got back to Virginia around 5 o'clock in the morning, grabbed a shower at college because I had a dorm room there still, and then I got in my car and drove across the mountain an hour and a half to get to a field trip with 24 fifth and sixth graders. Exciting. It was actually a lot of fun. But it wasn't just our school. We were uniting with five or six other schools. It was an outdoor education program. And I was a male staff, and so I was in charge of, uh, sp supposed to be part of the leadership for all the 50, 60 young men who were sleeping in the, in, the, in the gymnasium that night. Well, after my experience of the last weekend, I really wasn't that awake. And I fell asleep in my sleeping bag, a deep, dreamless sleep. Here's what I was told when I woke up. They didn't go to sleep that night on time. And so as a punishment, I can't, you guys can't imagine someone doing this to you all, but as punishment, they made them run a hundred laps around the gym in the middle of the night. I never heard it. <laughs> because I was sleeping a dreamless sleep. Somebody said that someone actually stumbled over my body. It didn't do anything because I was sleeping a dreamless sleep. And when the Bible says death is like a sleep, that's what it's talking about. You don't know what's going on. You can't respond to what's going on because you are sleeping. And you know what I say? Praise God. Praise God. It is good to be able to have rest from your labors, as it says in Revelation chapter 14. So that being said, I'd like to just, um, just give you a few verses that describe death as sleep in the Bible. Um, there's a lot more, but I thought I would give you a few just so you could see them. Okay? There is at least 40 or 50 more. The reason I bring this up is this is the thought in the Bible. The Bible believes this and teaches it. And it's very important that we understand why the Bible teaches it is for what we're just about to look at. Um, do we go anywhere when we die? You know, this is a big issue because paganism, uh, almost all pagan religions, no matter which continent you're talking about, teach that after life something happens. Christians, those who actually, let me rephrase it, those who believe in the Bible as their authority are the kind of the oddballs out when it comes to this discussion. But we shouldn't be because the creator God is the one who tells us what's happening. What we're looking at is only from the Bible. So where do we go? When we die. Here's the first one. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. This is Peter's Pentecost sermon. He says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. So how's it describe David here? He is 
dead and buried. Then in verse 34, Peter adds a little bit more. He says this, for David is not ascended into the heavens. You know, when I first read this in Acts chapter 2, now I grew up believing what I'm sharing with you, but I had never seen Acts 2. When I saw Acts 2, I said, well, that was a nail in the coffin. Sorry for the, that, that's the final, that makes sense. That makes sense. I get it. Um, so the next question I would have is, do those who die, and let me just go back, do those who die still experience feelings of sorrow and pain? I praise God for this. Really? Yes? Let's, let's see what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 5 and 6 and 10. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. That's good. If my grandma knew what was happening in her family, if she knew the pain that had been experienced, the suicides that had taken place, heaven wouldn't be heaven. My grandma does not know a thing because by God's grace, she's resting in Jesus. Does that make sense? The beauty of sleep. Neither have they any more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. That doesn't mean they're not remembered. It means they don't remember. And then it goes on and says this. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. You know, there are some people who believe that when people die, they come back as a ghost and they're going to get revenge. You know what the good news is? The Bible says that's not true. Now, there may be a demon trying to come after you. And we pray and ask God to help us by his grace. Amen. But there's no dead people coming after you. Because their hatred and their envy is now perished. That's what the Bible says. And neither have they any more portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Then it says this in verse 10. Actually, this is still verse 6. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. If there is no knowledge there, can they come back and tell you something? Because there is no knowledge. Then it says in verse 10, and I missed it. Can we look at verse 10? Because I want to read verse 10. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. You don't have to turn there if you want to listen to me read it, but if you'd like to, it makes a very important point for us today. It says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For there is, did we just read that? For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're doing. You know what that means? Now's the time to live. Now's the time to live. Don't focus on some future time. Today is the day to live. Today is the day to make good decisions and move forward in our walk with God. What kind of thoughts do dead people think? Put not your trust in princes, it says in Psalms 46, nor in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. His breath goes forth and returns to his earth. In that very day, what happens to his thoughts? There is no thinking that takes place. Now, if there's one thing, that should be able to be possible for a dead person. They should be able to praise God. If they should be able to do anything, they should be able to praise God. But I mean, you already are looking at me like that to know. Let's see what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 38, verses 18 and 19. So Isaiah, uh, if you have your Bible shut and you open to the dead center, you should almost, almost be in Isaiah. I ended up in Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 38, starting with verse 18. Isaiah chapter 38, and starting with verse 18. Here's what it says. For Sheol, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, that would be grave, cannot thank you. 
Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. This is some serious teachings coming out here in the book of Isaiah. That means the grave doesn't um, thank God. Death cannot praise. There is no praise for God when you're dead. Then it says in verse 19, the living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. The Father shall make known your truth to the children. If you want to praise God, do it today. If you want to worship God, do it today. Now's the time to praise God. Will we be able to remember God when we are dead? And based upon the train that we've been looking at already, this train of thought, we'd have to say no, yes? Uh, Psalms chapter 6, verse 5 says, For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? You don't remember God. But why don't you remember? Why don't you have hatred? Why don't you have love? Why don't you praise? Because you're sleeping a dreamless sleep. That's what the Bible all over and over says. When you're sleeping a dreamless sleep, are you doing anything? If you're dreaming, some things change. But if you have a dreamless sleep, nothing's happening. You don't have hatred. You know, um, I find it uh, interesting People who have anxiety, how do they sleep? They don't sleep too well because they're thinking. You got to stop thinking to sleep. So something happened. I was, I was trying to uh, be on time for the sermon this morning on Zoom with Athens. And so I set an alarm clock for 4 o'clock. I'm going to wake up at 4 o'clock. Well, little did I know that my dear son, had another alarm clock of the house set for one o'clock. I woke up at one o'clock, got on my glasses, was starting to get out of bed, and then I saw it's one. So I said, okay, I'm going to go back to sleep, but then a thought crossed my mind. What if you miss the next one? You ever have that happen? I couldn't go back to sleep. I, I had anxiety and I stayed awake. I woke up at one something, and then two something, and then two something. At 2.37, I'm sorry, I actually know the time. I thought, I just need to go to sleep. 2.37, I'm going to sleep. 2.47, what time is it? When you have stress, anxiety, are you sleeping? Because you're thinking. Isn't that right? But when you're sleeping, you don't have anxiety. That's some good news for us, isn't it? You should rest and let God take care of your trials. That's a hard thing to do. I speak from experience. Let him take care of it because he wants us to sleep today. Doesn't the Bible teach that man has an immortal soul? Okay, well, let's, let's look. Be fair, right? We're going to look at every single verse in the Bible. We've got a little bit of time. Every verse in the Bible that has the word immortal in it. You ready? 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. And of course, I'm speaking in King James uh, Bible, um, but I think it's, it's, it's pretty much across the board. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. We're going to look here at our first text. Now to the king. Did I get there too fast? Sorry. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal. 
There it is. That's the word, immortal. Who's it speaking about? God. And then it goes on. It says, invisible to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So who is the word immortal referring to in this passage? Okay, you ready for the next verse? There is no more. That is the only verse that uses the word immortal in the entire Bible. Now, there's words that use immortality, and we'll look at that. But this is the only verse that has the word immortal. Was it connected with soul? Who was it connected with? God. Do you realize that the word soul or spirit is used over a thousand times in the Bible and never is the word immortal connected with it? The, you say, well, where did the idea come from? Paganism. It didn't come from the Bible. And I'm not meaning to be unkind because there's many people who teach this, but it's not biblical. And that's something we need to be aware of. And by the way, I'm kind of glad it's not biblical. Here's the reason. Because God loves his people too much to give them an immortal soul now. He knows that if you had immortality, now your life would be miserable. Can you imagine being in heaven, immortality, watching what's happening on this planet right now? Watching what's happening to your family members or friends? I cannot imagine. It's beautiful. Those are, imagine this. There, there are some people who believe that if you have an immortal soul, when you die and you're a lost individual, where do you go? There's people who teach that you would go straight to hell. This teaching that you don't have an immortal soul tells me that my loved ones aren't suffering right now if for some reason they didn't make the right choices. It's also telling my loved ones who made the right choices aren't suffering right now either. That's good news. Very good news. Your God loves too much to put you through that. So, why would Satan want us to think that we have an immortal soul? Why would he want us to think that? Because this is something that would be a lie, right? You shall not surely die. Who said that? Satan did. So that's why I'm blaming Satan here. Why would he want us to think that? There's a couple of different reasons, but let me give you some here. Uh, some of you may have heard of the Fox sisters. Uh, they were ones who started out with uh, believing they can connect with spirits of the dead. Uh, it's the birthplace of spiritualism. I believe it's not uh, somewhere here in New England, if I'm right. Uh, maybe New York, upstate New York. And notice that little part that's circled there in red. This is the teaching of spiritualism. There is no death. There are no dead. Um, the devil can take advantage of grieving hearts. And he can have his angels who can impersonate come as someone who's been departed and speak the same exact words. You can actually smell the same smell. So like, like I think of my grandma. I keep picking on her in, the, in this talk. But her house smelt a certain way. She was a cook. And there's just, you know, there's just something that was there. Satan could recreate that, or an evil angel would recreate it, and then give me a message supposedly from God, but it's actually from Satan trying to pretend that he's my loved one who's in heaven. Satan can do this and does do this. I would probably guess there's some of you in this room who've seen people supposedly who have been dead. Based upon statistics, I would have to say that's probably true. But you know that it wasn't one of your loved ones. 
or an enemy. It was someone impersonating them to try to change the way you think. Sometimes it's hard to believe this over your senses. But this word is dependable. You and I both know that our feelings and senses are not always dependable. Am I right? But this word is dependable and you and I can trust it. You know, Job makes this statement. As the cloud is consumed and vanished away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him anymore. Notice this phrase, he shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him anymore. I mean, there are restaurants that make money on this, right? I think it's along one of the old routes that go through the south. There is a restaurant that supposedly is haunted by the spirit of a dead cowboy. And they have, uh, you can, it, people pay big money to eat there so they could get a little bit of fright as they hear the spurs jingling down the center there. Now, I would be uh, having a little bit of fright because that's not a spirit of a dead body. That's an evil spirit. And yes, I would be a little bit nervous at that. Um, only God is immortal. The dead don't know anything, and so they can't do this. Could this false belief actually happen in Christianity? It's possible. Um, maybe some of you are familiar with the apparitions of Mary. Uh, this is something that is uh, talked about for over 100 years now, or close to 100 years. Uh, Mary will supposedly appear to people and uh, share certain things with them. Visions of this is actually from here in the, uh, the Northeast or East Coast. Uh, visions of Mary attract crowds in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Um, what is this? Well, I'd like to let you know that Jesus is sure that his mother is resting in the grave. Mary is resting peacefully in her grave, waiting for her son to call her forth at the resurrection. That's what's taking place. This isn't Mary. It's someone masquerading as Mary to try to change the way other people think. You know, this is, uh, you know, they talk about conspiracy theories. This is not a conspiracy. It's the real deal. It's not a theory. It's really happening. And we need to be aware of letting the Bible be our final authority, something we can trust in. So uh, since the dead are surely dead, what are these apparitions? I've already alluded to it, but uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, that's the end time, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This will take place. I'd like to just take some time. <laughs> I don't have a chalkboard. So we have a virtual one. You ready? Point number one. We've learned that said, Satan said man wouldn't die. God said man would surely die. And we believe God. Number two. We learned that dust plus breath equals a living soul. Number three. We've learned the Bible says that death is as a sleep. Number four, we've learned that man doesn't have an immortal soul. That's right. And number five, we've learned that Satan is going to use this belief to deceive us during the end time. All right. Is there a time when humans become immortal? Absolutely. I love that. So let's, let's focus on this a little bit, and then we have a couple questions I'd like to look at as we close. Is there a time when humans become immortal? Yes. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. What does sleep mean? Die. We shall not all die. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And a moment in the twinkling of an eye, when? At the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Uh, then it goes on and says in verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must do what? This mortal must put on what? When does that take place? At the last trumpet, at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and when this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is what? Swallowed up in victory. We're going to see that phrase again. Good news. Right now, death is victorious sometimes. Am I right? Anytime you go by a graveyard, Anytime your heart goes back to a lost one that's gone, there's this feeling of victory that Satan claims to have. But the dead are sleeping. Satan tries to hold on to them, but he can't because they're sleeping and they belong to God. It's good news. So when is the resurrection? We looked at it already. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're, do you mind turning? We have these two passages here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and then John chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22 and 23 says, For, since, uh, excuse me, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. How many people are going to be made alive? All will be. Then it says in verse 23, but each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. So if you are belonging to Christ, when are you made alive? At his coming. Now, John chapter 6, Jesus is giving a sermon. By the way, who knows what better what happens when you die? Satan or Jesus? Jesus does. Who told us the truth? Satan or Jesus? Jesus did. John chapter 6, verse 39. Here's what Jesus said. This is an incredible sermon. Everything we're reading in this section is Jesus speaking. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up when? At the last day. Let's look at verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Amen. And when is that? I will raise him up at the last day. So when you receive everlasting life, according to this passage, at the last day. Right now, you are sleeping. Not you. I hope you're not sleeping. Well, it's possible. We're in church, right? But those who have passed are sleeping a dreamless sleep. Think about it. For you, it seems like eternity. But for them, it's like this. When I laid down my head, in my sleeping bag on that gymnastic mat in the gym. And when I woke up the next morning, it was as no time had passed at all. I had no fear, no anxiety, no stress, no nothing. I closed my eyes and woke up, and it was the next day, and I was ready for breakfast. Right? Good news. Then verse 44. 
No one can come to me unless the Father has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus is crystal clear that the last day he's bringing his people all together, waking them up, and we're all going to be together. In fact, I think we have uh, that text coming up shortly. Who was resurrected? We already saw all were, right? But let's look at this again. Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Every single dead person will be resurrected. It says, and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There will be two resurrections. We'll learn about the other resurrection next week. Okay? Uh, we're going to be part two next week. All right. So when is the resurrection of life? We've already said it was at the last trump, but let's read it again. First Thessalonians chapter 4. This is another passage instead of First Corinthians. Paul is writing to those in Thessalonica. And he says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. When does it happen? When God descends from heaven with a shout, the voice of God, and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God. So what happens at the resurrection? We talked about when. What happens? It says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's going to be reunion at the resurrection. Those that are alive are going to be caught up to meet those who are just resurrected. And together, together, both those who were alive in Christ and those in dead in Christ will be together and experience heaven together for the first time. It's not one shoots up here and one shoots up here and one shoots up there. It's not how it happens. It's together. Uh, what a beautiful picture we see. Luke chapter 14, verse 14 says something else. It says, And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed when? At the resurrection of the just. That's when, the, that's when the rewards are given out. It's at the resurrection. By the way, everyone gets a reward and everyone is resurrected. So there are some questions and I'm smiling at this. Um, are you ready? Could you turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians? Uh, probably one of the most common questions um, that comes is what about where Paul says absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Now, first of all, it doesn't say that. But what about that passage? Well, we're going to look at it, and that's where we have here. But do you mind? And the other one is the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, we could talk about the thief on the cross. I just was running out of time. I'm already out of time. But that's okay, if you don't mind. I just wanted to just give you a picture, though, of the weight of evidence. This is what we've seen so far. This is what we've been looking at. And we've got to be careful that we don't take all the weight of evidence and ignore it for one or two passages. Isn't that fair? So let's look at, this is 2 Corinthians. What did Paul mean when he said he would rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord? Let's look briefly at it. For we know, that's what it says, for we know if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, 
We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So you see four, he's referring to something that took place before. This could be its own sermon. I promise I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to be very quick to share a few points. Um, in the previous passage, he talked about an earthen vessel, and he said, I'm an earthen vessel. That's in, in 2 Corinthians 4. Now in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, our earthly house, this tent, if it's dissolved, we have something that's in heaven, uh, something that's eternal. That's a beautiful thing to realize. He's describing our bodies as a building. He calls our earthly body a tent. He calls the one in heaven an eternal. And that's true. Uh, notice how he puts this. Verse 2. For in this, he's speaking of the body, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. He goes, I don't like living in my earthly body. Do I have an Amen. Okay, I don't like living in my earthly body. I have back pain. I have elbow pain. I've got eye pain. I can't remember sometimes. I could go on. You don't want to hear it because you have your own list, right? He says, we that are in this body do groan. And you can say, I get you, Paul. I understand what you're saying. And then he goes on. He says, we want to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. I don't want my earthly body. I want my heavenly body. Does that make sense? I'm not wanting my earthly body. I want my heavenly body. And then he says, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Earthly body, heavenly body, naked. If I have my earthly body, I'm clothed. If I have my heavenly body, I'm clothed. Well, what would be unclothed? They're naked. Dead. Dead. If you're without a body, you're not in heaven and you're not living on earth. You're dead. That's the picture. But let's keep reading. For we are in this tent groan. He says it again. He emphasizes this groaning. Uh, Paul, you know, Paul had a, a thorn in the flesh. And many people believe it was poor eyesight. You read about this in the same book here in 2 Corinthians. He mentions this groaning again. For we in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. He goes, I don't want to be unclothed. I don't want to die. But I want to be further clothed. I want mortality to be swallowed up with life. I don't want to have a lack of life here. I'm not saying I want to die. I'm saying I want to go to heaven. I want to have a heavenly body. In fact, he says it this way, I want to have my mortality swallowed up with life. According to Paul, by the way, had he written to the Corinthians 4 before about when mortality was swallowed up with life? He did. In the first book to the Corinthians, we had already read it. In fact, let me just show you that text again. Uh, we just were reading this here. Behold, I show you a mystery. This is written to the same group of people. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this, this corruptible must put on incorruption and notice this. And this mortal shall put on what? Immortality. That's when it happens at the last trump. So when he says, I want to be absent from the body 
and I want to be present with the Lord, that's what he's saying. I don't want to have my earthly body anymore. I want to have my heavenly body. I want to be with him. I want to have immortality. And when do you get immortality? At the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's, and then it says, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is, what's that phrase, swallowed up in victory. He'd already talked about the swallowing up. And here it is again. What a beautiful connection. So this phrase, uh, I'm going to read this verse here in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And I say, Paul, me too. I want to be absent from this earthly body and I want to be present with God. I don't want to be unclothed. It's not my desire to die. I want to see Jesus come and I want to have a switch from, I want to have that switch. I want to feel the switch from the pain of now to the forever peace with God. That's what I'm looking for by his grace. All right. What about, uh, oh boy, I, I have these slides. It's nice when you have a little bit extra time, but then you have to let the whole thing go. I hope you don't mind. It's just emphasizing the point that there's a lot that's here. And um, we have these two. There are some times when I wish I didn't do all this. Okay? So we've looked at absent from the body. Now let's look at the next one here. And that is, what about the rich man and Lazarus? Do you mind turning with me to Luke chapter 16? Luke chapter 16, we're closing up with this. I believe there's a great picture for us here as we close. Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19, says there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And he, excuse me, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 24. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Okay, this is the picture we have here. First thing I like to point out is it's a parable. And the reason I'm emphasizing is because parables can be literal or figurative in the Bible. It starts like a parable, a certain rich man. And we see that the whole way through. A certain rich man, a certain man, a certain uh, net, a certain whatever is often used. It's kind of like uh, you saying, once upon a time, and as soon as you say, someone says, once upon a time, you're getting ready for a, a story, right? And it could be a fairy tale. It could be true. It could be false. We don't know. But it, it's a story. And so when Jesus goes, oh, I'm going to tell you about a certain, and you're like, okay, got it. It's story time. So we know it's a parable. It's meant to teach a specific lesson. Um, there's something else that I think would be important for you to know. Um, how did the rich man address Abraham? 
Verse 24, he called him Father Abraham. Who called Abraham their father? Which group of people called Abraham their father? The Jewish people. So this is a Jew speaking here. And then this other Lazarus, where was he? He was at the gate. He wasn't inside with the Jews. He was at the gate. This is a comparison that's going on here. Jesus, just tell you simply, is using a, a fairy tale of his time to teach a moral lesson. Let me just pull out a few points here, and I'm running faster than I wish. Um, there was a lady who I had the privilege of meeting in Michigan about 10 years ago. It would have been 10 years, uh, 12 years ago. And she said, Chuck, the rich man and Lazarus is something that you really need to explain. And I thought, okay. But then I got a little scared because I didn't know. How do you explain the rich man and Lazarus? It's a little confusing. I mean, it seems crystal clear. Everything else makes complete sense. But this rich man, I was struggling with it. So you know what I did? I said, uh, how about we get to a library? Those of you who know me, I like to meet in a public place. How about we get to a library and we study it together? She goes, that's fine. And so we studied for an hour, and uh, I understood it. And so did she. I praise God for that. I don't have an hour. But I'm going to try to give you an overview of what I've seen as I've studied, okay? Um, if it is literal, Abram's bosom would have to be very large. I'm not meaning this in an unkind way. You understand what I'm saying? If it's literal, that means that people in heaven can actually see people in hell and have a conversation together. If it's literal, that means that there's fingers, eyes, and tongues involved, real ones. If it's literal, would a drop of water really cool the tongue of a person writhing into flames of hell? If it's literal, could a person actually carry on a normal conversation while they're being tortured? I mean, these are questions that a person must ask. Um, is there figurative or... Um, un, uh, what is the best word of saying? Fictional parables in the Bible. There is. Judges chapter 9 is a famous one. In Judges chapter 9, there's a man who says, the trees went out to find a king who was going to be king over them. And, and they went to the cedar tree and said, would you be king? And he said, no. And they went to the vine and said, would you be king? And he said, no. And they finally went to the thorns and they said, would you be king? And he says, as long as you do what I tell you. You and I know that's a parable. We also know it's not true. Jesus is using something like this to teach a point. So what's he trying to teach? What's his goal? He wants us to know that we're responsible to share what God has purposed us to know. Um, let's go to our place of our scripture reading. He is asking for Lazarus to come and cool his tongue. And then he said, you can't do that. And then he said, I want you to send him to my father's house to testify to my brothers so they don't come to the same place I'm at. This is verse 28. And then 29, Abraham says this. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. Uh, and he said, no, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. He's saying, No. People coming back from the dead is not going to change their mind. Here's what they need to be listening to. They need to listen to what's already written. This is where the answer is found. What is already written. Also, it shows that riches 
are not necessarily a sign of divine favor. I mean, we saw the, the rich man. That's why we call him the rich man in Lazarus. He's rich. He's got everything. Lazarus has nothing. That doesn't determine which side you're on. Wealth is not a determinator whether you're on God's side or not. Also something else. Is there a second chance after death? You see it. There is no second chance. Number four, are miracles a sign of divine favor? Not necessarily. And it's helping us to see that. And I like this next one, number five. No one has an automatic right to heaven because of fleshly birth. Just because you're a Jew didn't mean you get there. By the way, just because you're a Seventh-day Adventist Christian doesn't mean you get there either. You understand. You must have a personal walk with Jesus Christ. Knowledge of doctrine doesn't get you anywhere, but if you allow it, a closer walk with God. I believe that true doctrine will let you see Jesus better. Uh, there is something I find interesting. I'm going to close with this thought on the rich man and Lazarus, then we'll come to our end. He said, you wouldn't believe if someone did raise up from the dead. That's what Abraham said. And he's speaking this parable to Jews. Was there someone who was raised from the dead by the name of Lazarus after this parable was given? Yes. And did they believe? No. In fact, they tried to kill Lazarus as well. What a warning. What a serious warning. You don't need a miracle, my friends. What we need is faith in what God has already told us. We would say, God, if you gave me a miracle, I would actually do something. Uh-uh. God gave you his word. That's a miracle enough. You know, there's a... Uh, thankfully, you don't have to watch the whole thing slide again, right? Uh, so I like to share a few things as we close. There's no question in my mind that we have lost people that we love to death. We have. We sit here and there is not a single person in this room over age 20 who doesn't have some kind of sorrow. Maybe they're under age 22. Am I right? Who does not have some sorrow because they've lost somebody in their life that they loved. Maybe it was a parent or grandparent or child. And that pain is not an easy pain. But it is a promise of God that your loved one is sleeping now. No pain, no sorrow, resting peacefully, waiting the resurrection. It's good news. Very good news. And the good news is Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, I've heard one person say this, all wrongs are righted. All injustices are made right. God will come back. He is coming back very soon. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Someday, my grandma and myself, she'll meet my kids. I'm kind of excited about that. And we together are going to go, wow, as we walk down Main Street of heaven. Together, we're going to experience what God has prepared for those who love him. 
Together, we're going to experience what it's like to be in the presence of God together. Not separate. You see, separation comes from sin. And God brings us back together again. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to when Jesus Christ brings us back together. I want to pray for us today. Do you mind praying with me? Father in heaven, we've seen a lot today, but what we have heard is that you love and that everything you do is because you love, that you give rest to those who are weary, that those who have passed on before that are sleeping, waiting the resurrection, have no fear, have no hurt. For them, it's just the twinkling of an eye. Please, Father, draw close to each one of us. Prepare us for your soon coming. We look forward to being brought together. We thank you, Jesus, that you do this. It's in your name we pray. Amen.